I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. The way software companies operate and develop software has changed dramatically in the last decades. Lisa Reeves, senior vice president of product at Zenefits, started her career in technology in the early 90s. We talked about her time at SAP, a company that builds enterprise software since the 1970s, and how software was developed at the time Lisa was there. Lisa also talked about her role as CEO of Gridcraft, a software company that was acquired by Workday. At the end, we discussed software solutions in human resources and how she operates as Senior Vice President of Product at Zenefits. Before we continue with the interview, I wanted to tell you that I launched a new podcast. It's called The 5-Minute Mentor. In this podcast, you'll hear advice from prominent researchers, engineers, authors, artists, and more in five minutes or less. Check it out by going to mentors.fm or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts by searching 5-Minute Mentor. Thank you. Lisa Reeves, Senior Vice President of Product at Zenefist, is joining us today. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You studied economics in the late 80s and also management, and I saw that your career spans from various roles in operations, software, technology, and most recently in the last several years in leadership roles. Can you give an overview of your trajectory? Sure, I'm happy to. Boy, it makes me sound like I'm so old, the late 80s. <laughs> But it's definitely part of my story. So I started at SAP. I was one of the first employees in North America for SAP, the big enterprise software company. And um, at that time, people didn't really even know what SAP was. So it was a great opportunity I had at SAP to advance through a number of jobs. I was actually there for over 14 years. Uh, the interesting thing was that the first nine years, I was in, you know, traditional operational type roles. I started as a consultant and I moved throughout, you know, a whole progression of other roles like pre-sales, business development, product management, etc. But something that was really transformational and really impacted, I, I think, the future of, of what I did you know, beyond SAP was the last five years, I had the opportunity to join their, their venture fund. So SAP had a venture fund, invested off the balance sheet, and I actually headed up the fund in North America and Europe. So I really moved from an operational role to a corporate investor or corporate VC, so more of an you know investor financial role. And that opened up a lot of other opportunities for me. After I left SAP, um, I then had my own small venture fund investing in early stage tech in the Rocky Mountain region of the U.S. And then after doing that for a couple of years, I went back into an operational role at Citrix. And from Citrix, then I actually started my own company. I was the co-founder of a startup uh, based in Boulder, Colorado. So So really the trajectory took me from, of my career, took me from being more of a traditional, you know, type operational job. So let's say an 
an operator to an investor and then to an entrepreneur, which is a pretty unusual, you know, path for most people. And then actually after I sold my company, my startup to a big enterprise software company, Workday, then I went back into an operational role again at Zenefits. And that's where I am right now, um, heading up product, user experience and design at Zenefits. So it's interesting. It's really, you know, these three disciplines, but the path I was on was not necessarily a straight path. And I kind of went back and forth. But it gave me a great view, I would say, of a number of different disciplines. Before we get on to talk in more detail about the company you started and your current role at Zenefits, I did want to ask you, like you mentioned, you were at SAP for several years, about 14. And I saw that this company is, is very big. They've been around since the 70s. And like you said, they're, they're important in the enterprise software space. Can you just explain briefly for those that aren't very familiar with it, for example, what are some of the things SAP does? Sure. So SAP, it's huge. You know, Fortune, pretty much all the Fortune 100, you know, companies run on SAP and it's a traditional ERP system. ERP is Enterprise Resource Planning. That's what it stands for. But honestly, what it is, is like the backbone of your company. So when you think of a large multinational or large corporate, how do they run their internal operations like finance and taking orders and shipping product and managing their supply chain? chain, all that internal plumbing or that backbone, that's basically what SAP is. And you're correct. It started in the 1970s with four founders, some of who are still very involved in the company. It was just the phenomenal rise of the company. And I think what's really remarkable as well is that the company was based in Germany. So it's pretty much the you know de facto standard along with Oracle and a couple of others for com- large companies in the United States. But you know it really started as a small German company back in the 1970s. And looking back, what were uh, some of the reasons why you stayed for 14 years at the same company? Yeah, that's pretty unusual to stay for, for 14 years. The reason I stayed was when SAP started, it was very, very small. I mean, it's huge now. I think it's over 80,000 employees, you know, huge market cap, and it's worldwide. But when I started, I was employee 1,740. That's worldwide. And when I started, it was a very small company. And as a result of that, you're given just a tremendous amount of opportunity to grow and to move into new roles. So I must have had, you know, just, I must have had eight, nine, ten roles at SAP and constantly new challenges and new opportunities. I actually relocated to Europe with SAP. Our whole family moved over there. I was given the opportunity on the sales side to do some really cool things on the partnering side. And then, you know, it pretty much culminated in the opportunity then to lead their venture fund, which, you know, was highly, highly unusual for a woman to manage a corporate venture fund in the 1990s. And so for me, it was all about giving being given new challenges and taking new risks. And since you've been in the workplace in general for several decades, I'm really curious from your experience, how have you seen the workplace change as technology has kept evolving? Like, what are some of the things that you look back and you say, oh, we used to do this and you know, now that has been completely automated or changed? Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, I mean, there's a lot of things you can talk about, you know, remote working and culture, so many things that are just so different. But for me, 
you know, because I did have a startup then, you know, later in my career before Zenefits. For me, one of the biggest changes is all computing moving from kind of an on-premise heavy, you know, infrastructure heavy environment to a cloud-based model. And basically, you know, the costs really to get a business up and running just like drop through the floor. So it's so much easier now to start a company, run a company, grow a company, and much more creative than what we saw in the early days of tech. So on the SAP side, you know, they started off as that much heavier kind of, you know, mainframe company and their the implementations take much longer time. They're much more complex. And today, just a very different environment. And certainly the large companies like SAP and others, they've evolved and they now have cloud-based offerings. But today, anyone who's starting a new company is just so much easier, flexible, faster to get a company up and running. Let's talk about the company you started, which is called Gridcraft, and you were the co-founder and the CEO, and I saw this company was building spreadsheet software, and like you mentioned earlier, it was later acquired by Workday. Can you talk about what Gridcraft consisted of? Sure. So my two co-founders were very, very strong technologists. They came from Oracle, and the company was based in Colorado. And the entire team was engineering, except for myself. And basically, what the company provided was the capability to suck in large quantities of data, combine various data sets, and then the interface, the user interface, um, basically looked like a spreadsheet. So the user, the whole idea of kind of self-service business analytics. So the end user was then able to manipulate the data, chart the data, combine the data, view the data in an easy sort of self-service way. And so it was a very horizontal solution. And um, our customers really ranged from, you know, schools um, to small businesses, and you could get up and running on it very quickly. And for Workday, they were very interested in having this capability as part of their cloud-based budgeting, planning, and forecasting casting solution. As the CEO of this company, what were some of the things that you were working on or that you had to do? Yeah, so I mean, as the CEO of a small company like that, you're basically like doing everything. So I did everything from like, you know, the traditional product piece and the design piece to running out to Costco to get snacks for people to raising the money to fund the company, which was probably job one. But you really, I think in a small company like that, which is why it's so much fun, you know, you're setting the direction, you're the caretaker, you're ensuring raising money, you're setting the tone for corporate culture. You basically wear, you know, 20 different hats. And that was, you know, that was definitely the kind of environment that we sort of built. It was really a wonderful culture. And the other thing it was, um, it was a super diverse team. Our engineers, you know, ranged in age from um, early 20s, you know, early 60s. And so we really had just a phenomenal engineering team. When you are a leader in a company or the CEO, a lot of the things from my perspective that needs to happen involve delegation. From your experience, what are some of the challenges of delegation or how do you approach delegation and what to, to assign, you know, people? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I'm a big believer in delegation, I guess, because I process like a lot of information and I have like a really trusted group of people that I work with wherever I've been. To me, it's always like, you know, people, it's the teams that you build, the relationships that you have. And so I'm extremely comfortable with delegating. You know, I have a lot of confidence in the teams that I work with, both at larger companies, as well as my startup at Gridcraft. And so for me, it's really, you know, understanding the people that you delegate to their, you know, willingness and their capability that they have in terms of like, you know, how much they're able to really take on at any one time. But I'm a real fan of that. And also just kind of checking in, giving people like enough room and enough runway to make the decisions and really establishing that level of trust. In terms of a company getting acquired, because I want to talk a little bit about this. I'm curious, what are kind of the conversations that start happening when a company is considering acquiring another company? So, I mean, I think our story at Gridcraft was a little bit different. So, you know, part of the advantage I have because I've been an investor, so I've, you know, and I've also been in corporate strategy is I've been on the other side of the table. So the one doing the acquisition. And then when I was suddenly the entrepreneur and starting my company, then I'm on the complete opposite side of the table. So there's a lot of advantages to that. Um, The one thing I would say is when you're company building, don't really ever think about acquisition. Just keep heads down, do your business, make your customers as happy as you can, you know, build your pipeline, all that kind of stuff. And if you do all the right things there, then sort of an acquisition or an exit or whatever else, you know, will will hopefully come. But if someone does approach you and we were not actively, you know, looking to be acquired because I just, you know, I just articulated how I think about company building. But the interesting thing that happened was um, that someone actually posted us on product hunt. And based off of that, we had some people that were very interested in our technology and our capability. And one of those companies was actually um, Workday. So they contacted me directly. So that's really how the process occurred. And typically, when you're approached, I mean, sometimes it's more conversation around, you know, partnering, sometimes more transparent around, hey, we're really interested in that technology. And I can say, at least in the case of Workday, and what I've also found you know, on the other side of the table, there's always an interest in, you know, the technology you have or the products you have. But I think really culture is super important. And for Workday, it was very important that they spend time with our team and and the folks that we had in Boulder and the engineering organization to get a sense of culture, what I and my co-founders had built at the company. And of course, there's due diligence around the technology and around the products and the customers and financials and all those other pieces. But I think for Workday and probably many other companies in the tech space, the initial, at least the initial conversation focuses a lot on culture. What are some of the reasons why you would decide to move forward with an acquisition? You know, it just depends. I mean, various companies have their reason. They acquire, you know, it could be a much larger company where you would have additional funding or additional resources and still be able to execute on your vision. So, you know, that's certainly appealing. For others, you know, there's also obviously financial rewards. For others, there may be um, an opportunity to make really make an impact at the other company. So there's a whole variety of reasons. One interesting experience that we had, though, with Gridcraft was Workday was also very interested in the Boulder-Denver area. They originally 
you know, I don't think that was ever a part of what they were thinking about. But then when they found out what a tremendous environment it was in Colorado and how much early stage tech we had and investors and we have Techstars, which is an accelerator there. There was a lot of enthusiasm for not just acquiring, you know, the product or the technology or the people and then having them, you know, travel out to the Bay Area. They made a real commitment to establishing a large office. And now it is a large office in Boulder, Colorado. And so I thought that was really unique and I really respected that because I have a lot of, you know, affection for Colorado. And for me, that spoke a lot about culture and how they think about building a business. In terms of reasons why you wouldn't want to be a choir, are there, you know, some of them that that you can think of? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard because as the, you know, CEO and or co-founder, it's your baby. And so now you're pretty much handing over the keys. In negotiations, it may all sound really great and then maybe it doesn't work out great. So, I mean, there's a lot of risk associated with it. And I think for anyone who has put, you know, just a tremendous amount of time into building the company, building the culture, hiring the team, putting your own money into it, raising money, you know, be you're totally attached and so it's all you know it's almost like your child and um you now are you know you're letting go of your kid and there's obviously some risk associated with that and also all the authority and the ability you had to set the strategic direction for the company decide on all of that you know build the you know vision the strategy it's not just yours to own anymore i mean usually you're part of a much larger organization and you have to fit into how they're thinking about things. I want to talk now about Zenefits, where you're currently Senior Vice President of Product. And Zenefits is a company that, that's building software for managing human resources. Can you talk in more detail what this consists of? Sure. So at Zenefits, we're really focused on, so unlike, you know, SAP, which we talked about before, you know, super large, heavier implementation. So at Zenefits, we're really focused on the SMB market, the small, medium business market. And as we like to affectionately say here, uh, we serve the other 99.7% of the market. And basically that 99.7 is the small business, you know, the SMB market in the United States. And so, I love that because that's really the engine that really, you know, drives our economy. We're made up of like so many small businesses and that's the market that we serve. And what we provide is, you're correct, it's HCM, human capital management. And basically, we're the backbone for you to run your internal operations around managing your people. And so when I say that, what they, you know, what that really entails is there's a kind of a core HR component, which means when you hire people, you bring them into your company, you know, also known as onboarding, you know, we provide all that capability. And we have the system of record, which is basically the record of the employee, and everything sort of integrates and, you know, moves off of that employee record. Now, in addition to all those capabilities, and there's so much cool stuff there, like around performance management and managing talent, and, you know, mobile, we're definitely mobile first, a lot of cool stuff there. You also have um, payroll. So you have to 
to pay your people. And if you pay your people, you know, are they full-time, are they part-time, are they contractors, interns? So there's the whole payroll piece. And then the third part of the puzzle is benefits. So we provide, you know, kind of that core HR piece. We provide the payroll piece, you know, payroll time. And then the third piece would be benefits. So you have to provide your employees with, you know, medical, dental, vision. And it's really, you know, the power of those three together with rich reporting and analytics, you know, that's the package, that's the offering that we provide to the small, medium business market. In terms of the senior vice president of product role, can you talk about some of the unique aspects of this role? Sure. So it's a fascinating role because, you know, at Zenefits, we are, you know, a privately held um, startup, but we've been around for a couple of years. So we definitely have, you know, a tremendous number of customers, over 10,000 customers. We have mass and scale in the HCM market. And so as a result of that, and we have a lot of employees. So as a result of that product, and when I say product, you know, that's product management, but it's also user experience, it's design, it's program management. There's also some operations functions. We're really at the center of everything that's going on. So kind of, you know, the heartbeat of the company. So we support the sales folks. We work super close with our customers to make sure they understand what new products we're delivering. We get feedback from them. We hear about their feature requests. We work a lot with uh, marketing, with our colleagues on the marketing side and product marketing. We obviously work super tightly with engineering. You know, we're, we're in lockstep with engineering. And so, you know, it's not a challenge, but it's a really unique role that product plays, we're at the center of everything that's going on here. So that's a ton of fun. I think the other thing that's, you know, challenging slash unique is uh, we have offices in multiple geographies. And so we're always trying to make sure that we, you know, build a, a culture and an environment that's really, you know, productive and, and great for all of our employees. So we're in San Francisco, we're in Vancouver, Bangalore, Tempe, Arizona, and we have some sales folks on um, on the East Coast. And plus, we have other remote employees. So that's something for us to really manage. And we spend a lot of time on, you know, kind of our internal folks and in our culture here. Part of being in a leadership position involves a lot of decision making. And I know there can be different approaches to this, depending on the company. Some of them might just rely on the opinion of, you know, the one person. Others you know, might be more collaborative. What are your thoughts on the components of making and choosing a decision for for a product or for the company? So I'm a big advocate of like trying to get a lot of voices at the table. So, you know, I don't want to get a lot of voices and then we like never make a decision. But I'm an advocate for really, I think you have to in product, uh, really listening to your stakeholders. So really um, factoring in that data, factoring in information, you know, in the most efficient way possible. So you have a lot of voices at the table. I think it helps you make better decisions. We always try to rely on data. And so we have a number of internal processes and systems that we run inside of Zenefits in our organization to quickly surface up, you know, customer feedback, market feedback, etc. And so we always try to be pretty focused and, you know, driving decisions, having data to influence and to inform us when we make those decisions. So I'm all about, you know, bringing in, you know, a broad set of understanding for large decisions, you know, but ultimately we really have to, you know, we can't 
constantly iterate and waste time on it. We have to pull the trigger. We have to make some decisions. We have to, you know, agree to agree, even if you really don't agree after we talk through that. And so uh, we try to drive a pretty, you know, fast decision-making environment, but ensuring that all voices are heard. What are some of the main general metrics that somebody that has a software product can look at when evaluating it? You mean like the metrics that we look at internally inside of Zenefits? Yeah, or just examples of general metrics like, I don't know, number of users or what are some of the main ones for evaluating software products? Sure. So obviously, you know, on the sales side, you know, what are we selling? What's getting licensed? Uh, we look at attach rate a lot. So like payroll, if someone is running kind of the core HR, that system of record, you know, capability, they've licensed that. How many of those deals are attaching payroll onto them or attaching benefits onto them? So we're always um, looking at that. We look a lot at our results by size of company. So kind of employee segment. We always have an eye on industry as well, like where the customer's coming from. And then in the product itself, we look at usage. So we look at on mobile, you know, um, we look at number of workflows and tasks that are taking place on mobile because we're definitely a mobile first product. It's really designed for today's, you know, changing workforce. And so uh, we look at a lot of mobile metrics. We look at engagement. So customer may have, you know, implemented a solution, but how often are are they and they're actually engaging, you know, so creating a document or creating a performance review. We look at time in the application, how much time our users spending in that. So yeah, those are some of the main metrics that we look at. Great. Well, Lisa, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. 